This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm Chris Hambling, and in this episode, we look back at a week which ended with the fans back at Selhurst and a fittingly strong performance in a 1-1 draw with table-topping Spurs. Harry Kane beat an inspired Guaita with a cruelly late swerving strike before a dominant Palace secured a point through Jeff Schlupp as a jubilant 2000 supporters lost their minds. Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Okay, with me today is a reduced panel, but not in quality, just in quantity, and it's Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Oh, I was about to make that joke. Boo. Oh, sorry, that's what happens when we don't fully prepare and just start recording, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I lost my mind yesterday. I've got to say, it was amazing, um, but I kept my mind and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, I'm not going to give too much away, but I suspect your uh, your nerves were calmed by um, some smuggled goods. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. Um, but there we go. Yes, that's right. Don't need to edit that out, do we? Do we? That's fine. Yeah, no one's gonna, no one's gonna know what I mean. <clears throat> it was nothing illegal, just to be 100% clear. So uh, we're, we are going to go straight into the uh, the news from the week. But just before we do, I just want to quickly point out and, and catch up with Mike on the fact that we were both extremely fortunate to to be at the game, to be one of the 2,000, well, two of the 2,000. Um, so my voice is a little bit lower. It's recovered slightly from this morning when I, I sounded very, very Barry White, but um, still a little bit... Of a, of a croak in the throat and it's so pleasing to wake up with a croak in the throat from screaming abuse at Kevin Friend because he's such a biased useless incompetent referee um Mike how did you feel this morning well my voice couldn't get much lower at the best of times um but I we, we were so myself and a couple of people uh were on the waiting list as well and and by magic got seats but it was right up in the in the sticks in the upper tier so shouting was was fine but not to the point where Kevin Friend could hear so um, I used the seat next to me which you don't usually get to do very often and use that as a big old loud drum so um, oh nice yeah, that was cool. yeah. yeah yeah 
Anyway, we'll be talking much more about that in just a moment, but time for us to delve straight into the news from the week. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to have an edit point here, Mike, because it just says update with a question there, and I don't really know the answer to that question. Well, um, we'll try and find this out next week, but the the, the Palace Christmas appeal, um, I know that the HF guys were delivering presents last week. I, I can't say that they didn't. So um, the money has gone to... Well, the, the money for presents has gone to the Salvation Army. And I think when I checked earlier today, it was the best part of two and a half grand. People are still donating. So I'm sure they'll carry on giving the money over. But um, if you haven't yet, I think 120 people or something have. There's still time. A fantastic sum of money raised. And, you know, obviously an incredibly worthy cause and a great piece of work. Uh, by everybody who's organised that. And uh, I know it's not the only charity appeal going on from supporters at the moment. And uh, I'll try and bring you some news on that one as well next week, uh, as I haven't done my prep. Work's difficult at the moment, isn't it? Work, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so the second question from the news, of course, Mike, is did Martin Kelly do okay in the chess? Yeah, I I feel like we probably should have left this out of the document, being as I'm sure neither of us know. But he he definitely did play that chess game because Heskiff and Terence were showing screen grabs of the game, which looked enthralling from those particular (laughs) static screen grabs. Well, that's that's exactly what I was going to talk about. I didn't follow it, but I did follow Heskiff and and Terence and the brief discussion in the preview show. Uh, So check that out if you haven't listened to it already. But... um, I think the, the general consensus was, and, and Patrick O'Connor is, of course, a, a chess master himself, and I think the consensus was he was better than anybody thought he would be because it's quite a strange thought to have had that Martin Kelly would be a chess player, isn't it? But um, but I suppose that's a, a little bit of a little bit of bias in there, not expecting a footballer to have other interests. But uh, apparently, according to Patrick, the uh, the biggest mistake he made was know, not knowing to castle as early as possible. So there you go. And that is not only a comment on Martin Kelly's chess behaviour, it is a tip for you, uh, you chess players at home. Castle as early as you can, apparently. Um, been a long while since I played chess anyway. So Palace got involved with the Rainbow Laces event again. So speaking to Sky Sports, Gary Cahill said uh, that the campaign is hugely important for us as players and football clubs, because we have the platform we do, you can influence people in the right way and send good messages. I think it's important that we do because people listen, stand up and take note of what players do or say. If we can impact in a positive way, that's fantastic. And I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it's such a worthy campaign. It's been going for quite a while now. And I know Sky did some really good coverage of it. In fact, uh, one of our social media buzz, Katie Murray, was was interviewed uh, on behalf of Proud and pa- <laughs> my my words are bad. Proud and Palace. There you go. Not, um, not, not Proud and Palace. That's no, that's that that's is- new shit. <laughs> oh shit! A very different organisation, which I can state categorically is not headed up by the former Palace forward. That is unacceptable. We may have to say that out. That is, I mean, it's not libelous, I guess, but. It's uh, controversial, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. I don't know what to, <laughs> you've you've rocked me with that. Yeah, well, apologies. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's good that the point that Rainbow Laces um, campaign is is now so embedded in the in the Premier League season. Um, so it was, I think it was Jimmy Mack and uh, Cahill that held up a banner before the game. Um, it's just, it's just good. I mean, I, I know it's towing the line and just saying what needs to be said, but um, it, it could easily be ignored in the current circumstances, and they didn't. So that's great. No, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of people arguing on various fronts about, you know, they keep calling it politicising sport. And it really isn't, you know. It's just about, 
you know, decency, integrity, you know, dispelling ignorance. And, and to me, it's only it can only be considered a positive. You know, football's there for everybody in every walk of life. Um, and society in general needs to be a bit more open than that. But huge strides being made. Um, and I just, just love to see it every week. Um, so there were no under-23 games this week, Mike, but there was uh, an FA Youth Cup match, which I watched in full on YouTube. I tell you what, harsh lessons for a very, very talented Palace side because that under-18 side has been doing fantastically other than a little blip um, against Spurs where they lost 5-1. But other than that, an absolutely storming performance in the Premier Development League. But having said that, they turned up to play Fleetwood. And and I have to say, you could almost feel that the Palace side know how good they are. And they turned up knowing that they were playing lesser opposition. And they were totally out for. I don't know if you managed to catch any of it, Mike. But um... no, I didn't. Um, but I, you know, I did see that they were behind twice. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It's a real shame. Yeah, there was um, there was a few ex um, Cat One players in the Fleetwood side, which again might have gone amiss for, for some of those young players to think that actually maybe some of the guys that they were coming up against have actually come from a from a higher level than they were last year. And I and I think. But what really told was the physicality of, of Fleetwood. They did not let up for a second. They ran all game. We had no possession for, for any length of time. Uh, you know, Mooney's a, a terrific prospect for Palace, but after a really strong opening five or ten minutes, they just cut the supply off to him and just harried us. And um, ultimately, it was uh, it was watching a team learn a very very harsh lesson. But having said that, you know that's the time to learn that lesson when you're playing in a very talented under eighteen side and you're feeling you know, confident and you're, you're beating all comers despite, you know, being new to that level. Um, it's it's not bad to get your feet sort of put firmly back on the ground every now and then. And um, that will make them stronger as players. I'm sure of that. Uh, Mike, you've, uh, you've added the, uh, the, the Lewis um, versus Palace women's result there. 2-0 Palace. Yeah, I mean, I just got to have another, mate. I know that the games are set for two o'clock on a Sunday, but if the men's team is playing at the same time, I really do not understand how they can't change the, the time of the games. Um, it's, it's just, it's a massive waste. It must be so demoralising um, for the sides because usually down at the dripping pan, those games are well attended. But um, the only people that would have gone are the ones that couldn't get tickets for, for the men's game. Obviously, that's plenty of people and they, they played on that. But there's absolutely no, it, that could have been streamed later in the day or earlier in the day. It just seems stupid. Uh, anyway, Palace won two 0 after what was apparently a, a fairly a fairly dull um, goalless first half. Uh, so Bianca Baptiste scored two. Um, the first one, I think, probably set Palace going by the looks of it from the highlights. Um, a long old route one ball um, that she got on the end of um, and seemed to catch Lewis unawares. Um, so Palace now they're up to seventh. Um, Lewis are the team above them actually, um, and and they're doing well, like six six points now above bottom place Charlton. So. Um, looking strong enough. Good to see them getting some good results. And um, so finally, before we end your news for the week, do remember, of course, to check us out on all socials by searching for Back of the Nest. Uh, Like and subscribe on YouTube as well for loads more content. Uh, DR once again doing a watch along was on his own for quite a while because Patrick had some system issues and my signal from uh, Sellhurst was inconsistent as I joined him every now and then. Uh, Having watched it back, Quite a lot of background noise on my first appearance on that, but uh, 
do stick with it. Some in, really interesting insight as they do the watch alongs. And um, sadly, with uh, London going into tier three, it looks like I'll be back on those uh, watching from home in the not too distant future. As I say, like and subscribe. Tons and tons of content on there. It's well worth your while. So our first topic, and we can't really start anywhere else, can we, Mike, in the fact that the fans were back at Selhurst. As I said, we were fortunate enough and really genuinely feel hugely privileged to have been two of the 2,000. Um, I want to talk, first of all, before we get into the comments, just about some personal experiences of the day in general. Um I mean, first and foremost, the noise was incredible for for two thousand fans, and quite rightly, as we'll, we'll probably pick up later on, the um, it didn't go amiss looking through social media and looking at neutral fans' comments and and you know how they how, how they felt, and in particular, lots of, uh, of of angry Arsenal fans asking why the two thousand at the Emirates could make any noise. Well, let's face it, uh, a full Emirates doesn't make any noise, so they shouldn't really be surprised there, but. For me, I, I just thought, you know, I, I, I was so excited for the game. It's the earliest I think I've ever turned up for kickoff. I was uh, over over 90 minutes early for my uh, for my entry time on my ticket and I had to just sit in my car like a little overexcited child um, messing around on social media. Um, and it, it just did not disappoint. In fact, it was everything and, and I thought it would be and more. The, you know, I didn't realise how much I'd missed the place. Uh, you know, the day was managed brilliantly by palace i think you know they did there was no excessive queuing um you were able to get away from any areas where people were congregating pretty easily majority of people respecting the the mask rules um although obviously there were some people who weren't and they may have had reasons why not and there was also a little bit too much congregating for me to be fully safe but i had enough space and opportunity to sort of manage my own risk on the day so that was really really um pleasing i have to say um, and just the, I just missed so much about it, and I, I could talk forever. But but Mike, I've got to let you speak as well. But can I just mention the moment at the start of the game where we, you know, we'd got the glad all over out of the way, and we still can't clap in time to it, and that made me really happy. But most importantly, I think the moment where we where we saying, "Can you hear the Tottenham sing?" That just, yeah, it just reminded me. I know it's a simple joke, and I know it's, but it's just. You get so much of that in, in a you know in a match day from the crowd, and it just made me smile. And, and I don't think I stopped smiling for the whole game, even even when we were losing. How about yourself, Mike? Uh, well, I was going to bring up the enormous cheer when uh, all of the players took the knee. Um, you know, that was a that, that was that was seriously loud for for two thousand people. Um, yeah, I mean. I get about the the congregation. So I, I was I was in the upper homestale, and there was very little congregation. There was enormous amounts of space. I've mentioned before that I went to the cricket with two thousand people, and this was ten times better run. Um, as you said, like um, thirty minute um, arrival times that were staggered for people um, had to had to see away uh, a large kingfisher, um, and then was put a tisky underneath my nose before I um, told I had like two minutes to finish it. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was nice. Um, yeah, I thought they handled it really well. Um, people were respectful. I don't think I saw anyone without a, a mask on actually, um, for up in the, up in the upper, um, the seats were, you know, there was a nice lot of space, um, between people. Uh, I don't think they could have done anything better. I still, 
I know that Lampard came out yesterday or today and said that he hopes that even in tier three, football will be um, given uh, a carte blanche to carry on. I'm not, I can't see that happening, to be honest with you. Um, so it could be that we have ended up seeing the, the only game for months and months and months. So we're incredibly lucky. And I will say, I know a few of us from the pod went to it, but it was totally... A, a fair few of us didn't get tickets straight away. We got them on the waiting list. We we didn't get any preferential treatment or anything like that before. Yeah, yeah, a few, yeah. A few people asking who who I had secrets on when I was uh, when I got an early waiting test t- yeah, waiting list ticket. But um, but yeah, absolutely right. There was there was no uh, underhandedness. I think most of us, you know, the fact that we do this pod will tell you that we're. We're insane about following Palace, and we go to every single game. And I know p- people aren't really that lucky in general. Um, so, you know, having the loyalty points we had was, um, again, it's extremely fortunate to be in that position, no matter which way you look at it. But um, I did, you know, I had to laugh with some of the mask stuff because it, you know, it was funny, and I didn't feel at risk for it. But there were lots of people who moved the mask so they could shout, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Uh, lots of people who seemed to have masks either on the nose and not the mouth, or on the mouth and not the nose. Uh, and some general sort of confusion around it, and you know, I have to admit, celebrating the goal, my, I was I had to end up clamping my hand over over my face to keep the mask in place because it was just, I don't think they're made for screaming uh, wildly at how much you love Jeffrey Schlupp. So, but um, a great side effect of them is that they are one of the best things I've ever had for keeping warm. So you wouldn't have been able to peel mine off me by the time it went dark. Yeah, yeah, and I, I hate to say it as well, but I really loved the fact that the weather was terrible because you know I love terrible weather anyway. But the fact that it was freezing cold and pouring with rain—that's that's football day for me. It may, whenever the the weather's that bad, I always think about football anyway. Usually, you know, a long trip up north or something like that. But the fact that you know the first, you know, potentially only game for a while back at Selhurst was just absolutely horrendous. Just made it all the more special for me. So. Um, but it sounds like we're gloating, so I think we we will move on to some comments for the time being. Other than for me to also acknowledge the the the, the amazingness of the the noise when the players took the knee, and that just goes to show you the difference between ourselves and our Bermondsey neighbours. I think we just wanted to make sure um, that people understood what sort of club Crystal Palace is, which was nice. So a few comments that you've kindly popped in the uh, in the document for me. Mike, uh, the first one being from Anfield Effect. Uh, yeah, was... I say, I'm not sure I want all of these to have the, the oxygen of publicity, but um, yeah, they get the point across. No, but obviously they're talking about the fact that that might be no fans uh, for the game where we, obviously we play Liverpool uh, next at home, suggesting that we might be in Tier 3, so there might be no fans, but pointing out that we uh, we carried the team against Spurs. And I, and I do think that that's an interesting point of discussion that lots of people have highlighted about was the Palace performance that good because of the fans? Uh, and it's hard to know, isn't it? Because it was such a strong display. Um, but we, you know, we had a bit of confidence from from the West Brom game, and how much the players playing well, even even in the first half, inspired the fans, and how much the fans inspired the players. I don't know, but I think there's very little doubt that the pressure that built in the second half before we scored was made all the more intense by just how much the fans were desperately screaming that ball to get into the back of the net. So um, interesting observation there. Um, Llewellyn Dixon, as we sort of hinted at earlier on, talking about watching on TV and saying the atmosphere at Palace with 2,000 people far exceeded the Emirates. 
and they're talking about they don't know what's wrong with their own fans. Well, I've got a long list if you want that as well. Mike, do you want to take uh, take us through Nathaniel Klein's comments? Yeah, I do just want to say, actually, I, I've I watched back Match of Day 2 before we, we've done this pod, and I don't really think that the TV uh, volume especially did a lot of it justice. Um, so if people are saying that, then... Um, well, it must have been must have been really quiet at the Emirates. Um, so yeah, Nathaniel Klein, they stuck it up on cpfc.co.uk. Um, fairly generic comment, but it's great to have the fans back supporting us like the 12th man. Even though there were only a few of them here today, it was great to have them here and hopefully it continues. I mean, Klein got an enormous reception, second only to Eze, who just got a stand innovation from the people that weren't already standing for the game anyway. Um uh, those two got um, serious props, so I'm, I'm not surprised he was fairly happy with that. Absolutely right. And yeah, he's just, as we say, almost every week he's getting better every week. So um, yes, just, just an astonishing performance from Klein. Looks very much back to his best at the moment. Uh, so there was, you know, there was a bit of negativity on, on socials as well about the Palace fans, which I, I'll be honest, I thoroughly enjoyed. I like the fact that there was people hating on Palace and, and calling us embarrassing and all this sort of stuff. You know, if you want to talk about being embarrassing, I think sitting there in silence is embarrassing and going out, enjoying the day and lots of people wearing colours as well. And, you know, someone was sticking the boot in for the, for the you know, the Palace face mask. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you know, we love our club. We're celebrating loving our club. That's all it's about. So um, I enjoyed that. I feed off of that negative energy because it, it means we're doing something right. But I also picked out um, Jeff McQuiggan. On, it's, a, it's just a tweet I found by searching the words Crystal Palace fans on, on Twitter repeatedly uh, and enjoying the uh, enjoying the tweets. And um, it's just a general comment on all, all football matches at the moment. And he said, based on what I've seen of the atmosphere created by limited crowd sizes in matches, we should let 2,000 Crystal Palace fans into every match, which I, which I enjoyed. That is uh, high praise indeed from Jeff. So um, I, I, not too much more, I guess, to, to really touch on in terms of the... Of the fans being back um, other than the fact that I will say finally if you do get that opportunity uh, even if it's joining a waiting list or whatever it is uh, and you've got any kind of concerns about going just to emphasize it was extremely well managed you, you have the opportunity to you know to take your safety into your own hands and do the right things as well and don't miss out because it was worth it it was worth every moment and, and you know to be a bit serious if I can Mental health wise, you know, um, you know, we're all we're all struggling at different times um, throughout this pandemic. It's been really tough on on all of us. And some people I don't think realise just how tough it's been on them. And when you actually go out and you get something that's just that little bit close to normality, it, it was it's had such an effect on me personally. You know, I, I've woken up this morning. I'm ridiculously happy. I'm still buzzing now from it. Um, so just anything that you can do to get some semblance of normality in your life, I, I hugely encourage you to do. And all the more better if that is uh, being able to go and support Palace at Sellhurst in the not-too-distant future. So let's talk more about the game specifically. And Mike, you've picked up a, uh, a, a great tweet for us to start with. Yeah, so um, from from One More Point fanzine, who is, is definitely always entertaining... So uh, <clears throat> he said, with the Palace game being a draw, does this mess up people's rhythm in the Roy in, Roy out, hokey cokey? Spurs were supposed to be an out, West Ham and in, I've now lost my place in the dance. 
Um, yeah, fair, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know what he's you know what he's saying. Um, it's a it's a light hearted way of, of basically asking what the hell is up. I mean, we still don't understand our team from one week to the next. Um, but it was uh, it was a great game. I, I, I think if we'd have come away one nil, it would have made it would still would have been great to have gone. But just just the way that the the team now in consecutive games has shown the kind of grit that was totally not there before that. Um, so, yeah, I'm at a loss what's going on, to be honest. So, yeah, uh, talking about the Roy in, Roy out discussion, you know, I, 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 you know, I still have my concerns over Roy, particularly when, when you talk about whether or not he's, he's the man for, for Palace any further than, you know, even this season, really. But I'm pleased, I'm always happy when, when Roy kind of sticks it to me, if you like, and, uh, and gets a performance out of the team and, and starts... You know, producing we start producing something on the pitch that makes sense to me. Um, you know that kind of intensity that we played with that's been missing so much. The pace, the directness, the the passion that you know the team are always giving their all, but they don't always seem to be structured in, in a way that kind of enables the freedom we need up front. And the changes that Roy's made in the last two games, in particular, and mainly, let's face it, in, in bringing in Christian Benteke who has led the line perfectly with players in and around him. We talked about it loads last week. You know, it's been talked about in all the watch-alongs, but it was so apparent in this game as well. Benteke didn't score, but he had an absolutely sensational game. And it's not just about how well he's playing. It's about the fact that there's a front four now, not a front three. That's clearly what we've been trying to do. And, and we just haven't always got it right. It's either been the personnel or, or it's been the the kind of mental approach to the game, starting on the back foot, being too deep and too many gaps between the front players and all that kind of stuff. That's what we've been seeing. And that's what's made me absolutely livid with the situation in the past. But right now, what we're seeing is is a team that was, understandably, I guess, beat a 10-man West Brom, but at, played a top-of-the-league side and absolutely took it to them. And if you're talking about who really deserved on, on the balance of play, who deserved to win that game. The only team you could come to the conclusion who would have deserved to win if it wasn't a draw is Palace, in my view. And, and I don't think I'm being biased with that because I already have, you know, fairly negative uh, opinions about about um, about the manager and, the, and the, you know, the way we've played. So I've been turned around by that to some degree. So the hokey-cokey is real in that sense. Um, but uh, Mike, I'll just get your thoughts, really. I mean, obviously I've picked out Benteke making a big difference, but... Looking at Schlupp playing wide right and, and Eze playing left and, and you know, Roy's been really specific about them not being wingers and, and he's absolutely right. It gives him that compact shape that he loves. But how have they been able to so you know to better interact with that front two? Well, I just gotta say first of all that um Jermaine Genas agrees with you, so that's that's high praise. Um I love Angels Townsend. Um I put him in my all time favourite Palace Eleven. Um, but it's clear to get the best of Benteke as he has been in the last couple of that games. You need somebody with the pace um, and the eye for a run that Schlupp has without the ball. Andros is a genius with the ball, um, but with Benteke holding it up, um, you've got triangles being made with with Zahar and Eze. You've got triangles being made with Schlupp and Eze. Um, and any combination of those four. Um, so it's it's working well, and whether Hodgson meant it or not, it, it's clipped between those two. So when people say about Benteke, 
for me, it's it's Benteke and Schluck together as a, as a single entity, um, if that makes sense. I could tell you've been standing near Chris Clark a little bit too long. Uh, you know, a lot of love for Jeffrey Schluck there. Weirdly enough, I have to say this, and and it, you know, I I've got so much time for him as you know as as a wide player. Um, I actually thought he was probably I wouldn't call him a weak link because everyone played well. But I would say he was having he was having a, a game where not a lot was coming off for him. You know, he won a few fouls here and there, doing some great defensive work as well, and and try you know running, running direct, trying to get beyond as much as he could, linking the play out relatively well. But not a lot came off for him until the goal. Um, but then seeing him celebrate the way he did, you know, all my all my concerns just melted away because that's one thing you do get with him. You know, he does score goals, not bucket loads. But he knows how to put the ball in the net, and, and, and the anticipation and there was great. He he was in the positions that we, I don't think we currently have another player that gets into those positions. Obviously, you've got Batshuayi that would be in the position to finish something off, but to just go on a sprinting run past the man with the ball, just head down, just seeing what happens. That style of play isn't going to work a lot of the time, but when it doesn't click five times, it does click once, and that's better than just not doing it at all. Absolutely right, and it's you know you and when you said earlier on about you know, the fact he's coming the team for Andros, all Andros gives you, and, and a lot of people, myself included, thought you know drop Andros at the time of Benteke's in the team, he's the only guy that crosses. Um, it just it just seemed madness, but you know the the logic is there in it, and everything that we've talked about now, which is you know the the pace and directness that he gives you, um, and and a bit more defensive solidity as well, because you know obviously he's played a lot of Premier League games. Uh, as as a as a left back as a as an out and out defender so um, yeah it's definitely given a, a really interesting balance and interesting to hear Roy talk about the fact that he considers Jeffrey Schlupp to be two footed rather than a, than a left footed player um, perhaps something again I've not really appreciated myself in the past but as soon as he said it I just thought back to yeah he, you know he can hit a good shot with his right foot of course he did miss a pretty good chance with his right foot. Yeah, he, he, that yeah, that one was um, that was a big miss. I mean, let's be honest, Hodgson is going to probably name Schlupp as his <laughs> godparent for whatever kid he has with his twenty-nine-year-old next wife. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that, that went on in that um, in that explanation there. Um, <laughs> need, to, need to think that one through a little bit later on. Um, we have to talk about uh, a certain Spanish goalkeeper, Vicente Guaita. Um, just, I mean, in a lot of ways, quite a peculiar game um, because of that the one incident with the goal. So let, let's start with the, with the goal, first of all, because it got a bit of a hammering. I've watched the, the full match back on Sky, including the pre- and post-match coverage. And he got an absolute hammering off of Sunes because he was saying, I don't know what he's complaining about, it's swerving. He's right behind it, seeing it the whole way. I mean, that, that's first of all, Graham Sooners watching the ball in slow motion is a is a bit of a different thing. But it's just the technique on the shot. You can see it. It's it's not a necessarily a new technique. It's something that's been happening for years. I can remember when I was a kid and I used to obsessively read all sorts of football books. It was something in a I think it was Mervyn Day talking. He was the, an old Leeds goalkeeper, and he was talking about facing Brazilian players and how they had this knack of making the ball start to swerve one way and swerve back the other. And you can see that's exactly what Guaita's looking at. He's looking at the the strike. He's seeing the fact that, that it's starting to move in the air. But the direction of the ball <laughs> suggests that it's going to move to to his right, to the left, as you look at it. 
but it really does sort of swerve and dip and you don't appreciate it from the angle of the, of the camera looking directly on it because you know Guaita's at a, a completely different angle looking at it in a very very different way and he, he's not he's not a rubbish goalkeeper is he as he proved so it's quite clearly been a much more of a deviation than people really have given it credit for but for you Mike does it actually go does it go down as an error yeah I I I not sure I agree with Sunes there. Um, he didn't dwell on it. Guaita did not dwell on that that being a mistake. He he quickly said, you know, it fooled me. Um, but he wasn't moaning. He wasn't blaming anything else. He wasn't saying he was unsighted. And he just got on with it and, and, and made some excellent saves afterwards. So for me, whether it was a mistake or not, it, it doesn't really matter. That we've, we've had other goalkeepers in the past that once they've done that, you know, they're going to be a gibbering wreck the rest of the game. And, and the fact that he became man of the match, which we'll go over in a minute, is, is testament to the fact that he, he gets over his own issues. And that's uh, that's an amazing trait in a goalkeeper. Definitely. And I have to say, I don't know about you, but I was I was watching him afterwards because it just looks like such a lonely existence for a goalkeeper when something like that happens. Because, you know, he's basically walking around in his own penalty area and every now and then sort of dropping onto his, uh, you know, dropping and crouching down and just... He's got all he can really do is sort of look around the stadium when the ball's not up that end. And it's I really kind of like I was almost heartbroken. And I don't know if you remember, like when we conceded that goal, nobody kind of went. It wasn't even a groan. It was kind of a because he'd already made what two, three ridiculous saves, and everyone was just kind of like oh, and it was just this almost oh <laughs> rather than ah. I mean, we, we've we've all been done by a swerving ball in any sport, so. Yeah, there, there was nothing other than, um, right, let's get into it and, and some more Palace chanting. And, and really, that's that's what you expect from real Palace fans. Um, you know, day shippers might moan and make excuses, but Palace fans don't do that. So, No, you're right. Everyone got straight back on supporting the team, you know, roaring them on. And, and you say it paid in the end. I mean, it, you could pick so many excellent saves and, and you know there was a couple at least that were exceptional I think the early one from uh, Ndombele was just was absolutely superb not just to get down to it but to, to push it wide and out of danger the, you know the reactions were just sensational um, but it's you know there was a save from Kane from a corner that shouldn't have been given um, which again was relatively close to him but but he pushed it out brilliantly and uh, yeah, um, the one where he ended up sort of half tipping it onto the bar, and then had to get set straight away as as Kane sort of diverted the, the the ball back across into his path, and again got down so low so quickly. And when you first see it, you think, as he effectively just dropped onto the ball and got a little bit lucky, but it's not. The hand comes down, scoops the ball out. It, you know, it's a split second reaction, um, and, and an absolutely phenomenal save. But you can't think, you know, you can't really sum it up anymore than the save from Eric Dyer's free kick at the end. Um, watching it live, I don't know how you felt, Mike, but I, I, when you when you saw it live, you can't really understand how he got that high up, that far across his goal that quickly. And then having seen it back, to seen the photos of it, seen it a, a ridiculous number of times, I don't think I still understand how he got there. I mean, the last, well, injury time, the four minutes of injury time, went on for an age and and as Hodgson said he, he was still quick to look for the negatives and what he can do better and he said you know we gave away some stupid fouls towards the end of the game which 
probably true. Um, yeah, it was an amazing, it, it was an absolutely amazing save, for, especially for a man of his height, you know, if he's six foot ten or something, maybe. Uh, but for me, the Kane header, so I think it was, was Aurier over to Kane to totally send the ball the opposite direction to where the cross was going. And then for him to get down to his left, I mean, I've never seen live, a, I've never seen live a, a keeper with those kind of reflexes. Um, it's, no. it's incredible to watch. I mean, it, it puts me in mind of of Jules is all you know his all time best save, most important save, most phenomenal save when he saved from Ashley Barnes against Brighton to tip it onto the bar. When again, if you try and time the reaction speed from to get his hand up to it and and flick it onto the bar, it's you know you couldn't stop a flipping stopwatch quick enough. You know what I mean? It's that good. Um, but he seems to be able to pull out that kind of reaction every week. So. A tremendous, tremendous goalkeeper, and and it was so nice to see somebody get that kind of uh, that retribution. I don't know if that's the right word. That kind of yeah, he, he you know he to to be, you know to have lost that game and being focused on that one moment where he got caught out would have been so unjust given given how well he played. So fitting that the kind of last moment of the game was him making an absolute world class stop. Just talk a little bit about our equaliser. Um, and it takes us on to the to one of the subjects that somebody has asked us to talk about as well, um, and that is Eberetche Eze putting the ball in from a from a dead ball. And it, I'll be honest with you, I want to I don't really want to do a, a negative thing in this show, so I'll just quickly mention it. And that is, you know, for for a couple of weeks, the two games in particular when we lost to Burnley and Newcastle after beating Leeds, and Eze's. Just he was just nowhere to be seen on free kicks and corners, and it just baffled me. And, and once again, we kind of see why that is, because his dead ball um, play all game was was just top notch. Uh, it doesn't seem to really miss hit it. And this this ball in in the eighty first minute, and you know he quite rightly when he's celebrating the goal, he stops and celebrates his free kick first, and then runs and joins everybody because it was absolutely perfect. Um, but what I also picked out, Mike, was the. The runner Christian Benteke, and I did initially probably give him more credit than he, he deserves loads of credit, but I probably gave him even more because I thought he's been smart enough to duck under it. But when you see it again, I think there's a good two or three defenders who've got their arms over him, holding him down. So he, as he runs across, he's still strong enough to run through them, but he can't get off the ground. And that's why Loris can't react until very, very late. And then the uh, aforementioned schlup is on the case straight away smashes it home to scenes of absolute jubilation, but just a, just a great moment and a, and a, and a fantastic goal. Yeah. Tell impressive first of all, because, um, you know, it was all palace at that point, absolutely all palace to the point where the negative bit of you goes, we're going to get caught on the counter and this is going to be two nil. Um, but the, the goal was almost like, um, a microcosm of, of the, the, the fans, atmosphere at the time like from 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 the Homesdale just sort of willing the ball in and it did just just do that really you know from one yard out absolutely smashing it that that was just a reflection on on the fans for me um yeah great goal everyone went mental as usual um yeah I, I won't forget that one in a hurry definitely no no very just a just a really truly special moment and you know the kind of I know what you mean about the atmosphere and the sort of intensity kind of creating the goal almost. It just again takes the mind back to to one of the loudest nights ever at Selhurst with the uh, with the Liverpool game, where 
you just knew we were going to get back to three three um, because it just you know it was an inevitability of the of the intensity and the noise in the stadium and whilst there were only two thousand of us there was an inevitability that the pressure was going to tell because Tottenham didn't know what to do they they couldn't motivate themselves to get out of the funk that they are in and the crowd was just feeding the players and the players feeding the crowd so as you say not something that I'll forget for for a long long time um so before we start talking a little bit more about uh, as as requested um by a, a listener comment we'll get to in a bit I know you've picked out a few a uh, few statistics for us to quickly run through Mike yeah well the statistic I wanted to go for was based on Mourinho's comment after the game and you know you don't want to get you don't want to get Mourinho getting under your skin, but he, he kind of did annoy me with this comment. I'm going to read the read the comment out in full and then give a few stats on it. Mourinho, it was because they were not able to do it, and he was talking about following his half-time instructions. I give credit to Palace for that. I always say that even if you want to press high, if the ball is in the air, you cannot press. There is nothing to press. So they put the ball in the air. They started putting the ball in the box and creating lateral free kicks and corners with rebounds. So the goal could arrive like it did. So he's talking about us playing long balls, hopeful balls. Um, and it, to, to me, that I, I think this probably sums up a, a quote we're going we're gonna to have from Hoiberg in a minute. But, um, you know, I, I feel like they slightly underestimated Palace. Um, and if we get on to Benteke, um, obviously this plays to his strengths. But... I don't agree with with what he's saying. And I looked at the stats on whoscored.com. So, in fact, long balls during the game, we had 57 of them and they only had 56. Um, so, there, there was, there, there, we only had one more than them. Um, so, I, I'm not sure I buy into this, we've hit it and hope, um, and, and that's what stopped them playing well in the second half. Um, you know, that's what Burnley did against us a few weeks ago to, to great effect. But... Um, the, the stats just don't back it up. Um, and, and if that was the case, we would have got them, you know, the, the stats would have suggested that they had a ton more attempts than us, that kind of thing. Well, we had more shots than them, 16 to 14. But they had a couple more in open play. They had nine to our seven. We had a few more set pieces. But the, the stats just don't back up the fact that um, Spurs were, um, you know, playing some kind of sort of higher class of football. They, they weren't. Um the, the positional report showed that we played equally down the left, the middle and the right, basically, whereas they sort of bottled most of their chances over to the left and, and did what they could down the left flank. So, if anything, I think in, Palace played what most of the day described as um, really attractive football. And and it's not often that we get those kind of plaudits on national television. Um, and and I, I think Mourinho is trying to cover that up a little bit. Well, definitely not. Well, first and foremost, this is the point I've been doing my head in about we can play good football we're capable of it we have a squad that can do it and I don't and I don't accept being bored every week and we've shown it that we can do it and we you know again we did it against the team that currently top of the table we showed that we can we can out football them at times and that I think Terence even picked out a stat in our in one of our group chats as well that um in terms of key short passes you know so significant short passes I think Tottenham had two all game that were key short passes. Everything else was was hit long. Whereas Palace had, I think, about twelve. You know, so it, it just does. The statistics don't back it up. But as you say, that's Mourinho all over. You know, he's looking for excuses. He's looking for reasons. He's, you know, he's obviously annoyed at his own team for for not doing the right things. But if you take that on face value, 
which which is always a risk against Mourinho. But if you take it on face value and he's saying that his team should have been prepared for Palace to hit it long and hope and they didn't they didn't follow his instructions, well that's because Palace didn't hit it long and hope. So you got it wrong, Jose. You got it wrong and your team suffered the consequences. But what really I think happened is his team attempted to shithouse the entire game, didn't they? Once they got one new up. And that played right into our hands because we were much more confident than we'd been in a long, long time. Uh, and we had a system that was really working well. And as you say, that increased balance attacking left, centre and, and, and right-hand side, where we usually, we dominate down the left usually. The fact that we had a bit more balance about us, I think that is the biggest success from that match because it just shows you that there's more about this team than just kick it to Wilf and hope we hope we get something now. And that is what we've all been crying out for for such a long time. So brilliant stuff. Um, so uh, Ebo got in touch and said, after the last couple of matches, uh, are we finally getting the hang of having a bit more than 25 to 30% possession? And look, I'll be honest, I'm not going to, but this is a, a topic I could go on and on about because I think it's a really interesting, probably mainly just to me, but an interesting point um, of, of some... You know, something that's happening in the modern game, you get quite a lot of teams now who are almost better without the ball than than with it at times. They they want their opposition to come and attack them so they can hit them on the counter with really well-structured, pacey, direct quality attacks. And obviously, if you, if you watch the, uh, the North London derby in, in Spurs' previous game, exactly what they did to Arsenal. They said, here you go, Arsenal, you want all the ball, so have all the ball. We're, we're too good for you to break us down because you're useless at the moment. Um, and we're going to hit you horribly on the counter-attack twice and win the game. And that's exactly what they did. And they turned up trying to do that to us. But of course, we we quite like that at times as well. You know, Roy is all about making good use of the possession that you have. And sometimes it's to our detriment and sometimes it's it's to our benefit. But I think Ebo's right in a lot of ways. I think that once the team's playing with that little bit more confidence, we're actually much happier having that little bit more of the ball. And we also showed that whilst Roy's right, there's the, the only value in possession is is good possession. Um, but I think we, we showed that we can probably enjoy having a bit more of the ball and, and are capable of keeping the quality level up when we do. Uh, but that's not always been the case in the past. It's been our undoing before. So definitely 100% agree with Ebo. That's a bit of progression from the team. Uh, and I think part of that comes from the man that Andy Hode and Matt contacted us about and that uh, was, was analysed very well on Match of the Day as well. Um, and that is the inclusion of Eberetche Eze, of course. Um, yeah, I just want to go back to the possession quickly. Uh, Go remember we haven't kept a clean sheet since I think the first day of the season. So the sitting back and and soaking up pressure um, w- wasn't working in the way that it has worked for for Roy in the past. So there's naturally going to be more of possession unless he wants to carry on taking that gamble, which you know tentatively I'm thinking perhaps he's less sure of than he was before, which is only a good thing. So obviously we did want to talk about. Um, Eberetche Eze and, and I, I said it there but it was, it was uh, Alex Scott on Match of the Day 2 to be precise he did some really good analysis, analysis of the Palace match but she talked um, as a lot of people have been doing lately about the difference that Eze makes now a lot of the focus has been on the difference it makes to Zaha to kind of free him up and of course that's true but it's to me it's much much more than that right because first, first and foremost you know they're not a like for like player the way Wilf plays out wide left is not the way Eze plays wide left um, partly because it's a different role he's being asked to play than Wilf is when he's out there. But 
I think mainly because they are very, very different types of player, uh, which doesn't really get appreciated. There's a kind of lazy uh, attitude that they're that they're very similar because they've you know grown up in the same backgrounds. They're they're you know they're what people like to determine street footballers, and they're you know they're about sort of expressing themselves and skill and all this kind of stuff. But Eze is so much more of a kind of measured player, and you only have to look at the stats on him on his, on his passing. He makes more passes than anybody else. I think he. I remember seeing a stat from the game that he played more key passes in that match than the entire Tottenham front line together. Um, by front line, obviously, I mean the, the you know the attacking wide players as well as as well as Kane and Son. So, I mean, that in itself tells you everything you need to know about how important he's become and how much he's grown into this Palace side so quickly. Um, and he had spells where he you know he wasn't massively involved. It wasn't a, a standout performance like we saw against West Brom and, and Leeds, for example. But it sort of showed to me a little bit of a growing maturity that he was able to kind of take a step back occasionally, move the ball around intelligently. But it's the the directness, the change of pace, and just the vision as well. And I suppose Mike, the one that stands out for me was the the sort of swept pass from from the left hand side into the path of Zaha, who ended up shooting over over the top of the goal from what was actually probably a better chance than I appreciated at the time. But just the two of them seem to link up really instinctively, which is so pleasing to see. Yeah, I think the one you're talking about where Zahar skied it, um, the difference is before we'd have played a ball from the side to Zahar and he would have had to weave his way around whatever he could in the box and hopefully, you know, score a goal like he did against West West Ham in the 97th minute a few years ago. Um, but now you've got somebody feeding from the left. Um, Eze in the middle to Fred, a, a more telling ball through to Zaha. Um, and that's that's the kind of thing you get from that situation, which we haven't had for a long time, if ever. Indeed. Well, before we have a, a quick sponsor break, let's we've got to talk about a, uh, a certain post, post-match comment that you, uh, you hinted at earlier on. So... Let's hear from um, some guy, some uh, midfielder guy from Spurs. When you are number one in the league, I think every team that you play against, every individual that you play against, for them it's the game of the year, of the, it's the game of the moment. And again, it's credit for us, to us, and it's something we have to deal with. And of course, the players that we play against are top motivated to show their best side because they are playing against before the game today, the number one in the league. And yeah, credit to the goalkeeper, credit to us. So first of all, I mean, where to start? So he called it, um, you know, was it game of the season, game of the moment? I mean, every game is a game of the moment, isn't it? You only play one game at a time. So yeah, not too sure about that. So first of all, I had to look up why he wasn't called Hoyved because that apparently is a 37-year-old Dutch centre-back who used to play for Southampton. And he's a 25-year-old Danish midfielder who plays for Spurs. I'm being slightly facetious, but really, you know, who is who is this guy to talk about like that? He's he's a bang average midfielder. Uh, you know, I, I just I just don't see where you get that level of arrogance. I suppose it must come from from the manager. But do you know what? He he strikes me as he's that 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 guy. You know, like a, a mate of yours who you you sort of meet up with, and he says, uh, "Oh yeah, yeah." I had to chuck the misses, mate. I had to, yeah, yeah. I don't know. If I just want my freedom, I want a bit of, uh, want a bit of freedom. Want to, want to play the field a little bit. And then ten minutes later, after a flipping pint of Fosters or whatever, he's crying, saying, "I just want him back." You know, he just went and cried his little eyes out after that. I mean, he's 
it, it, to me, they're just really spiteful, unnecessary comments to have that level of arrogance. Oh, I don't know, Mike. What well, do you think? There's a bit of me when I first heard it that thought maybe this is a translation issue. But then I thought about it and I thought, no, it's not because he would. <laughs> there's no ambiguity about what he said. It's, it is pure unadulterated arrogance. And considering. There's been about seven sides that have been top of the league this season, and Spurs have only been top of the league on goal difference for a week. Um, it, it's yeah, it's a very odd comment, and um, I'm sure it's going to wind up the Palace players, and, and whoever's playing them next are going to use it to their advantage as well. Uh, bang average is definitely the word because I don't remember him doing anything. Their number three had an excellent game um, down the left hand side, but he was not. He wasn't exactly the focus of their chances. No, and I have to say, as a follically challenged man, that coma over is fooling nobody, mate. Just just accept it. Shave it all off. It's over. All right? Just just give it up. But, um, yeah, I just, yeah, it was good to pick that out because it was um, a slightly baffling moment. Anyway, it's sponsor time. <laughs> you did that right at the four second mark where I was pausing for four seconds, counting in my head one, two, three, four. And then you did a little fanfare, didn't you? You can help yourself. That's the uh, that's the performer in you. You know, you just you don't like the silence, do you? Carry on. Sorry. Thanks. Mikey's going to keep that in, and rightly so. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos, choose your match day squad, post match ratings, and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com. So, our sponsor is, of course, Pitch Sport dmm so pitch sport enable us to do um, all sorts of stuff with the with the uh, statistics they get from your submissions so please join us on there if you just google pitch sport football you'll find a link to download their app you get to rate the players you get to rate the manager give you predictions pick your team all the information that you share goes into a lovely big pot and they produce some really good statistics check them out at pitch footy on Twitter to see the kind of content that they're creating. Um, some really cruel ratings um, that they, they come up with this time around. And again, it's not them coming up with it. It's us as fans submitting it. So please get your, your views across to change this sort of business because first and foremost, they only we only gave the manager an average of six out of 10 for the game. Even I scored him a good nine out of 10. In fact, I think I gave him four and a half out of five stars. That is nine out of 10. Well done, Chris. Good maths. So absolutely uh, needs sorting out there. But somehow, Kevin Friend was given six out of ten for his refereeing performance. Yeah, I'm not Kev- sure about this. Kevin Friend has signed up on mul- multiple accounts for Pitch Sport Football and is rating himself. He must have rated probably himself around 50 to 100 times as five out of five stars. Otherwise, there is no way that statistic could have happened. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm stunned for the team to get six out of ten, the manager to get six out of ten, and the referee to get six out of ten. Unless there was a lot of Spurs fans purporting to be Palace fans. Well, guys, help us out. Join us on Pitch Sport. Uh, get involved. My code on there is KUGKUT. You can add me in the mates section and uh, compete against me to predict results, which I've not been doing very well with at all. Uh, but join us on there. Let's get those statistics giving a proper reflection of what real Palace supporters think. And that will be hugely appreciated. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So, Mike, it is listener feedback time, and I'm going to take a little bit of a backseat and defer to you on this without telling you until this moment now. Okay, well, I'll, I'll run some thoughts past you from um, from very sage, intelligent people around the place that have got, got hold of us, uh, and you can give your thoughts back. So, uh, Selhurst John, a good Palace performance we all enjoyed. Is this a false dawn or can we push on? I'm not sure we can answer that, but I'll throw it your way. It's the the ultimate question, isn't it? We've uh, we've experienced moments of of joy in the past uh, that have not necessarily been sustained, but um, I think the signs are good. That's what I'll say to to John on that one. And the signs are very good that the team has started to properly understand this system that we changed to. And let's not forget we changed it for the start of the season. We had a you know little bit of pre season to get used to it, uh, but the personnel has chopped and changed for a variety of reasons. Uh, you know, with certain people in that team, it hasn't worked perfectly. But we seem to have found that right formula now with Christian Benteke leading the line, doing all the really hard work of, of giving the defenders hell, creating space for other people. And, and let's not forget, you know, a real goal threat against West Brom as well. So with that attacking three that's now become a four, um, I think we've got a, a real chance of sustaining it. And I really hope so, because I don't want to be back on this show moaning about Roy every week. You wait till they all come down with COVID and we're playing Scott down up front on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, Dan- Daniel J. Edwards on Facebook. Yes, people do still contact us on Facebook. How about the fact that we break teams down without playing on the counter? And if Roy had had the balls to play football against Brighton, Burnley and Newcastle, perhaps we'd be in the top six now. Do you think that Roy holds this team back and would be a better manager? Would a better manager get more out of the squad? Let's leave that last bit, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, so Brighton, Burnley and Newcastle has our negativity come back to bite us in the arse. I, I, you know, that's definitely my thought at the time, um, certainly. And I, and I don't think the evidence of the, the most recent performances dispels that in any way. If anything, it kind of reinforces that message. But of course, you know, football isn't quite that simple. It never is. And, you know, especially when we're being emotional about things, we like to think it is that simple. Um, but I certainly, I certainly do believe we should have we should have played much more on the front foot against Burnley because I don't think it would have cost us. Uh, I think the Newcastle game we weren't truly terrible, but we certainly weren't great, and we got really badly caught out. Um, and if anything, we were caught out worse when we finally did try and attack. Attack, and, and my problem with that was not doing that from the off. But so I think there's a lot of truth in what Daniel's saying in in the sense that we could have done better. But I think it's also important. And, and we can do well reminding ourselves of this every now and then, that in terms of the Premier League starts, I think before the game, it was our best ever Premier League start in terms of the points total. Um, and I'm not sure how whether that's been that's changed by the fact we drew against Spurs or not. But, you know, we've, you know, we're looking back up the table again. Very, you know, we were worried very much after those two poor results. 
Um, but we're now looking back up the table. So let, let's let's try and stay as positive as we can because we don't know how long it's going to last. Um, but yes, absolutely. If we'd done what we should have done against Burnley and, and Newcastle in particular, and arguably Brighton, yes, we would be in the top six now. But would that be a false position? Probably. Yeah, we've been there before. Mr. Cavies Parrot, great to hear from you, Mr. Cavies Parrot. Also, kudos for the fact that there's now Bourneville Cavies fingers on sale in the shops. So, um, <laughs> excellent. The, the quick responses by our defence to clear the ball after Guaita saves was impressive, don't you think? Yes, I mean, for a start, Guaita had a knack or has a knack of um, managing to parry the ball into our players, which um, has probably got a lot more skill to it than it looks for us, um, our, us lay people. But, um, you know, Klein was, was clicked to clear one that he parried down. Kuate, another, um, yeah, they, they 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 deserve plenty of uh, kudos for that, don't they? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you've got you've got to be switched on, and we were switched on all game. You know, we have seen in the past our defence be a little bit sluggish at times, um, and I, and I think that's been a feature in in, in recent weeks, um, but very much not the case against Spurs. And if we can maintain that level of focus and and you know dig out. Um, you know, basically not concede from that kind of second ball when Guaita's made a great save, then, then brilliant. But you're absolutely right to say it, Mike. He does push the ball into the right area more often than not too. Yeah, and uh, supposedly the best goalkeeper in the league. He didn't do that. Um, that's why we scored a goal. Jerry Ford, Kevin, in brackets, is not our close brackets friend. <laughs> um, yes, he was a tit. Yeah, he was. And, and the fact that you know, it ended up being a good performance and, uh, and you know, what felt like a very good result, although arguably we, we could have won it, um, you know, kind of just took the little bit of the, the frustration away from that. And also the fact that I thoroughly enjoyed giving him abuse um, was was also part of it as well. And, and I had missed that, but it, it was not a good refereeing performance. I think even Roy in his post-match comments hinted at the fact that he felt that Spurs got a lot more free kicks than we did in similar situations. He was quite diplomatic about it. Um, I would go further and say it was out and out bias. You know, the constant little arm around the shoulder and chats with Harry Kane were incredibly annoying. Uh, I know he's their skipper and, you know, the ref and the skippers are supposed to talk a lot, but it, you know, it looked like he was trying to be his best friend. So um, I'm not, not really too impressed with that, but, and I, and I think probably the moment that got me the most was, yeah, he got some dog's abuse. Not I quite like the fact that he smiled as he walked off the pitch when he was really getting it. But the fact that he was lined up chatting and laughing with the Spurs players whilst the Palace players were back out on the pitch, I don't really understand why that was. Because, you know, get out on the pitch, mate. It's, you know, it's, there's no reason for you to be there. So it kind of felt like he'd, um, he'd forgotten himself a little bit and thought he was in, in the Spurs team and uh, was going to come out with them. But yeah, yeah. There you I, go. I think uh, a special mention to the uh, the linesman at the uh, the homestead and in the second half as well, who was absolutely rubbish. Uh, Quinton Soldan, where exactly is Max? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, I think we've covered that. Then we don't know, I'm afraid, Quentin. Leaving that aside, I think the Spurs game was our best performance of the season. I was so impressed how we kept coming forward in the second half, but without risking all at the back. I think that's probably a key point. Some very imaginative play, but still need to whip in more crosses for Big Ben. Yeah, I'll go along with that in terms of, of how impressed I was at the end of the game. I'm not sure how much of that was because, you know, because we were there and it, it just felt that much more. Obviously, the Leeds performance was excellent as well, uh, as well as the early performance against Man United. Um, but other than that, 
you know, let's let's face it, we've not been particularly consistent and we've had some really poor games as well. But, you know, there's, there's zero doubt that it is very impressive. Absolutely getting some more crosses in for, for Benteke. Um, but we've shown that we can do that as they can put a, you know, a fantastic ball in the box from the left-hand side and, and, and Schlupp hopefully will start doing a bit more of that from the right while he's in for Townsend. And uh, if he can start getting more service into the box, then it'll be... It'll be better for Benteke because he'll have more scoring opportunities. I think, you know, in this system, I, I almost we almost don't need him to score regularly, but it would be nice to see him do so to keep that confidence up. Yeah, and uh, uncharacteristically uh, insightful comment from Nick of this parish, um, so I've stuck him in. Um, he wanted to discuss the Spurs Donny on match of the day who totally misrepresented how we played. I hope we've done that for you, Nick. I think we probably have. Um, and then he said, also nice chat between Vicente and Joe Hart as they walked off. Seems they're discussing how Kane managed to get Swerve on his shot for the goal. Um, and a couple of people then said, yeah, no, they um, they did see the, the conversation sort of worked out that um, they, they were both talking about the, the, the skill on the shot. So um, there you go. Yeah, I saw that. Really, really enjoyed it as well, because obviously it started with the fact that Joe Hart sought out Guaita to, you know, to congratulate him on the saves that he made, in particular the one at the end, because... You know, you know, keepers. You know, they're all they're all nuts and they're all friends, basically. Um, but I just thought that was a really nice moment, and I think Guaita appreciated it as well. And he was very excitable again for his post match interview, which um, I've started to be able to handle now. I used to a bit wouldn't couldn't watch him. It was almost I don't, I don't think cringe is the word, but like because it's it's not. I'm not embarrassed for Guaita, but I just I love his enthusiasm. Um, but you know, his his limited use of English, I I just I struggle with it a little bit. Um, but um, that's not a criticism in any way. But I, I, I really, really enjoyed his post-match interview. Um, that's all I'm going to say. About it. it was, it just seems like such a lovely guy and just loves being at Palace. And I'm sure he'll be here for many more years. I love the way he rolls his R's. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and I mean, Joe Hart probably should stop being the uh, the face of Head and Shoulders. So um, Guaita has some fine hair. Maybe he should take over. Um, and let's finish with. Tony, at If So So What, are we a couple of signings short of a European tour? If so, who? The fact he's put If So Who suggests that he genuinely thinks that and it's not tongue-in-cheek. So um, let's say Mane and um, Ronaldo. Right. A couple of things. Don't mention the E word because every time we do, we go on a losing run and start talking about the R word. All right, so that that's that's warning number one. Uh, and warning number two is don't get so carried away. Having said that, all I'm, I'm going to say is that we we're probably more than a couple of signings short of, of of that kind of level. Let's face it, partly because we've got to replace some people in the squad uh, for a variety of reasons. But I think per- personally, I think we're we're a really talented. I mean, although Slup might be changing this, but I think we're a very talented right sided forward. Away from be and, and a sorry and a, mo, a, a more mobile central midfielder away from having a, an exceptional squad that we should be expecting, you know, top half as as a minimum. That that's how I feel right now. Um, but so much depends on hanging on to Zaha still, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's plenty of very good teams in the Premier League this season. That's why there's. A, well, I think we're only seven points or eight points off the top, but still in the bottom half. Indeed. So let's wrap this up with a quick look ahead to West Ham. Obviously, there'll be no preview show for the West Ham game. Um, 
because it comes along so quickly on Wednesday night as we record this. Well, it's Wednesday night whenever we recorded this, quite frankly, but whenever, whenever you listen to it, uh, you know, um, I'm going to talk myself into circles there, so I'm just going to back away from that uh, that explanation and get straight on with talking about West Ham. And first and foremost, for a proper West Ham preview, uh, do go to our YouTube channel. Just search Back of the Nest on YouTube. DR has carried out a full preview with a, with a West Ham supporter, uh, giving you his own pearls of wisdom as well, if you're missing him on the show today. Uh, so do check that out and whilst you're there obviously like and subscribe as well but Mike you and I can talk a little bit about what do we expect so I suppose the big question the only major question for us right now is given how quickly the game's coming around do we do we think we can realistically put out the same team Roy talks after the game about that fatigue would be an issue that he doesn't want to change too much but he very you know uh, credit to him for saying it. He he said he said we got to learn lessons from what we did on Project Restart, where we played the same people every week. He did that. Um, so yeah, it's okay. But you know, he's now said I have a squad that enables me to do that. So are you expecting it? Do we need to do it? And if so, what would you like to see change? So I mean, first of all, it depends whether he wants to do it for West Ham or or sort of think well, Liverpool's a, a free hit. Um, maybe play the play the better players against West Ham and, and a slightly more second string against Liverpool, but then you don't want the second string to be humiliated by them. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think he's right. There's um, two players on the, the right and left backs, um, plenty of choices for, for centre-backs. Um, midfield, you know, he's, he's moved around between three before and let's be honest, Jimmy Max, like a Duracell bunny. So, um you could probably play him every day and he, he wouldn't be he wouldn't wouldn't give less than 110%. So it's it's just the front the front players really. Um and I, I feel like we're it's still fragile and, and one tinker here and there could be enough for it to go back to um meaningless possession. So the, yeah, it's 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 a worry, but it's the same issue that other teams have got and um, you know, Liverpool are beset with injuries and West Ham don't have a stronger team as as a, a deeper team as they have in in you know years gone by, so um, it, it, it'd be it'd be hard to say that Eze or, or Zahar. Yeah, so the only thing that I think I would possibly look at, you, you'd mentioned Macarthur, you know, and his, his energy. You could probably play him every week, and, and maybe you could. Um, but for me, you know, it's just getting. He's what is he thirty three now? I think so. If if there was a change to be made, and I'm not saying, saying we make it, but but logically to me, Gyro would come in for for Maka because uh, I think Luca is Luca's actually to me he, he looked almost back to his best. Uh, I thought he was really good against West Brom, particularly doing that the screening job eleven v eleven. He was he was doing a pretty impressive job, but he looked really really confident against Spurs. So I, I would keep him where he is and look at potentially Gyro. Um, whether or not, again, you know, you would have talked to me, you know, last couple of weeks, I'd have said PVA out, Mitchell back in is a no brainer, but I thought PVA was excellent against Spurs. So I wouldn't change that. I think there's value in keeping the centre backs together, even though there's an embarrassment of riches there to, to a certain degree. So it's really difficult to, to know what to change, if anything, you know, Klein is getting better with every game, but whether or not match fitness wise, it's, you know, with it, with the amount of time he was out, it might be a time to give Wardy a game. I'm not, I'm not sure, but 
I just really want to beat West Ham. So, you know, whatever the best possible scenario is, and if that's keeping all the, the same 11 on the pitch and just chucking them back out there, then let's do that. But going back to your point on Liverpool, Mike, I think Liverpool are there for the taking because they are really struggling at the back with injuries and they weren't great going forward as well. They've just lost that little bit of fluidity with the with their kind of formerly formidable front three. You know, Salah's still scoring, but... You know, Mane just seems a little bit off at the moment and he usually gives us hell. Firmino's not getting a great number of goals and hasn't done for a while. Um, so they're just having to chop and change that much. So I honestly think that we could we could just get another moment against them. And I love those moments too. So, uh, But I'm just going to be greedy and say, let's win both games and, and, and pick the same team twice in a week and I hope for the best, really. Well, the, I mean, it's a congested December, but it's it's not huge. There's as many games in January as there are in December. Um, so, I mean, every team's going to have this issue, especially the ones that have had a couple of games postponed. Um, I just, I really wouldn't want to lose to West Ham. That would suck. No, absolutely right. And look, they've been giving it a little bit because they were frustrated to lose out on Eze, and quite rightly so, because he's better than all of their team put together. But they've been trying to lord it up with Ben Rama and Jared Bowen, who are obviously two that we were linked with, and they chose to go to West Ham, or we chose to pull out of the deal, depending on what you what you read, slash know, slash hear. Um, and... You know they, they, you know they're getting very, very confident, and I suppose rightly so. Uh, but they should feel that little bit of shame, and I suppose they might point the direction in our way similarly. But they gave Moyes hell for working with what was a, a an underperforming, weak squad, and they criticised the kind of work that the, the board were doing in the transfer window. But they've spent a hell of a lot of money, and he actually got what he asked for, for uh, finally, and they've given him a decent squad, and he's turned it around after a really poor start. And I hate to see it, but. I'm not someone who hates David Moyes. I, I hate West Ham, but I think he's a he's a, a manager who's got an unfair amount of stick for going into to Man United at a time where they were so player driven, and, and you know he had just had a thankless task. I think his reputation took a an unfair hit, and they're reaping the rewards for having a really strong manager now. But well, look, West Ham always hold themselves in such high esteem. So again, I heard today Tony Cotty saying, "Oh, you know that it's set up for them this year to be in Europe." Going back to Tony's point about Palace, if you put that kind of stress on yourselves when your team, you know, would only do that by overachieving, um, it's very easy for the fans to then get down when it doesn't work out. West Ham are a mid-table side and we're battling out similar places in the league as us. Um, and, you know, they've made some poor decisions in the past. They bought Jordan Hugill. You know, they, they, they're not, they're not, a world-beating side, um, so it's just it's just worse whenever we don't get at least a point against them um, because they they will just lord it over and carry on saying that they're um, the second coming of Christ. <laughs> they do say that. Um, no, it's uh, look. It, it, tactically, it's obviously a very different game to the Spurs game. However, it is it's playing a team that are in good form and full of confidence, just as Spurs were, um, and it's a team that. You, you can get in behind and you can you can give trouble. They should be fearing our front four as much as we worry about any of their form. So um, for me, I just think it's, it's going to be a very, very similar affair to the Spurs game. So we need to match that level. Um, and, and, I, and I think we can. And I'm quite confident for once. I do worry a little bit um, about the kind of effect of players that, that may or may not have joined us and how they tend to do well against us, you know. 
so I do worry a little bit about whether Ben Rama gets a game um, and, and certainly worry a little bit about Bowen because he's he's a tremendous footballer um, and, and very frustrated that they ended up getting him. But we've got some tremendous footballers ourselves. So in terms of picking out uh, some predictions, I'm going to ask you to go first. What do you think? Um, I'm going to go for a draw two apiece. I'm going to go for a, a one nil Palace win with a uh, with substitute Jordan Ayew scoring in the 93rd minute. Excellent. I'd love that. I'd love it. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed for everybody for listening and all of those of you who got in touch as well. Uh, we read everything that you send in. and I can only use a selection every week, but it all helps tremendously. Check us out on all our social media and our YouTube channel. And until next time, come on, you Palace! Back of the Nest Review Show, sponsored by PitchDMM.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.